Hello and welcome to this micro lesson format episode of the show where I'll be taking one of your questions and providing some insight from our research and digital library. If you've got a burning question about mindset, leadership or performance, then please do send it through to hello at sportingedge.com either as a message or as a voicemail and a voice note and I can get that through and feature that in a future episode. We're on the final countdown now to the year end and the world seems to be slowly returning to normal after the pandemic so I really hope that continues. I've had lots of interesting projects going on uh, at Sporting Edge including creating some really interesting content for a massive upcoming TV series on sport where we'll be exploring what goes on inside the mind of the players in the different roles on the pitch. All will be revealed shortly, but I really hope you enjoy this different perspective. We hear so much about the tactics and the techniques and all those kind of elements, but going inside the mind of these elite performers under pressure in one of the world's biggest tournaments, I think is going to be fascinating. So I think we've had a decade where our primary focus was to get the athletes fitter. Then we developed all these different analytical tools and we had... Uh, a decade where there was so much forensic examination of every technique and every angle on the pitch. And now I think the last remaining competitive advantage is where we are exploring inside the minds of the elite performers. So I'm really fascinated about this next wave on the sports field and in business. How we think under pressure, how we build strong teams that trust each other in those critical moments how great coaches create that brilliant psychological environment where everyone can play at the best. To me, those are the hidden areas of performance. So we really need to be able to bring in more insight, have more discussion, and to be able to learn quickly from each other in those situations. And I really hope this podcast is serving that uh, need for you. Well, over the last few weeks, I've been asking for your listener questions and we've received some absolute belters. This week's comes from Kevin, who's a deputy head teacher, who said, as a teacher, I've been intrigued by some of the leadership and team building angles in the podcast recently. So what approaches would you take to get the best from a reluctant team? School classes can be seen as teams, but the teacher doesn't always get to pick the players based on strengths and motivation. Some don't want to be there at all. How can a reluctant team become a high-performing team? Well, Kevin, that's a brilliant uh, question and a massive challenge, I guess, to get an unmotivated team to be a high-performing team uh, in the sort of space of a, a 60-minute lesson. And I hear your pain. I can imagine that uh, your life would be very different if you could pick all the best uh, learners and the best behaved students, the most engaged, I think that would be transformational. Uh, but I actually think you'd get pretty bored pretty quickly. So the fun's in the challenge of finding different ways to get the same message across to this wildly diverse group of personalities. I think that's one of the key traits that I've seen with elite coaches, that they have you know, a real skill in trying to get their message across to really different groups of people. It's almost like the Swiss army knife of coaching. They've got loads of different tools and gadgets that can, uh, you know, crack open a situation and get people to learn. So I think that's a real area of growth for a lot of coaches. And I'm actually amazed you're asking me for teaching advice though, because uh, it gave me a painful flashback to a day's teaching cover I did in New Zealand many years ago as a pro cricketer I used to spend the summers in the UK 
playing professional cricket and then whiz out to New Zealand and, and coach and play out there. And, and I was asked to do a day's uh, sort of cover teaching where I was um, going to help out with a bit of sport and various things. So I had to do a cricket coaching session on the school field and I rocked up in my tracksuit and I had these amazing mirrored azure blue Oakley wraparound glasses, the latest trend. Um, and as the class came skipping out, running out onto the field, I thought I'd better take them off because my English accent will probably be a barrier in the first thing, but I want to make some good eye contact so I could build rapport with these kids. And it's fair to say it didn't work brilliantly. Uh, the kids, the girls were making daisy chains and the lads were giving each other's dead arms. Um, but I heard one of the young lads say, get his glasses. So I was primed like a ninja just as I was demonstrating the perfect forward defensive shot to this seven or eight year old. He dived forward like a, uh, a tuna out of the seated semicircle where all these kids were sitting cross-legged. And I stuck my bat out to stop him reaching the glasses instinctively. And anyway, my bat made contact with his face as he was diving forwards. And before long, his pristine white school shirt had been splashed with blood coming from his nose. And two of the girls shouted as they ran off, we're going to tell Mrs. Smithson you've hit Marcus with the bat. So it wasn't exactly what I was expecting on that sunny morning day. Um, in Wellington but it was the last day that I've ever been asked to teach in a school so Marcus if you're listening mate apologies for that dodgy beak that I've given you uh, but I'm sure you've styled it out over the decades brilliantly so I'm not an expert in uh, teaching but uh, a definite expert that we've interviewed for our research in our digital library is Professor Guy Claxton and he spent his professional career focusing on skill acquisition and learning and this insight gives a great perspective on developing a growth mindset to unlock the motivation of our students. A growth mindset basically says, I see my ability, whether that's intellectual ability or physical ability, sporting prowess, artistic ability, or indeed a whole lot of different my, my different characteristics, my ability to be kind or generous or perceptive. I see all those things as if they were like muscles. Muscles get stronger and more skillful through practice. So I look at all those things as things that through effort, through trying, through exercising, through having a go, I build those capacities. I get smarter, I become more flexible, I strengthen my aesthetic capacity. Some people, however, have picked up a belief which says my ability is fixed, I'm a bright student, I'm a talented footballer. Now when you have that belief, when you look at yourself and you think you're good because you, have a, you already possess a certain amount of capacity which is fixed, that then distracts you and in fact deters you from putting in the effort, from putting in the hard yards that you're going to need to improve. You interpret your performance as a reflection of your fixed ability. So when you do get to the limit of that ability, when you come to be flawed or foxed or dropped from the first team, for example, you feel stupid, you feel inadequate, rather than with the growth mindset, you think, aha, learning's coming my way. I'm not perfect yet, what can I do to get better? 
Fixed mindset is a bit like a computer virus. It's something that's got into your mind and you can debug it. Uh, and your coach can be extremely helpful in the, in the debugging process. The first thing you have to do is talk about it. Uh, and that's why Carol Dweck's work on fixed and growth mindset is so powerful. It just gives us the language, it gives us the science to just to be able to articulate what for many learners for many years has been as it were burrowing away at the back of your mind but hasn't been visible to you, it hasn't been articulated. And once you become conscious of it, of this virus, once you can name it, and talk about it, that's the first stage, isn't it? It's the first stage to, as it were, being able to have some choice about the matter. The next thing is, for a coach or a teacher or an educator, is to constantly draw your learner's attention to the role of effort and strategy in their performance rather than feeding them back stories that imply that their success or their failure was a reflection of some fixed capacity. So instead of, instead of thinking, I can't do it, as Carol Dweck says, and this is very popular now, you say to yourself and you say to your athlete, okay, you can't do it yet. Yet is a very, that little three-letter three word is a very powerful transformer in helping people shift from fixed mindset to growth mindset. And it can be done within a matter of weeks, but we have to keep our eye on that ball. We have to work on challenging and reprogramming that virus. If we, do, if we focus on it, we can do it. I love the language in that uh, clip there and, and the opportunity to transform the mindset of our athletes, our peers in the workplace, or our kids using these growth mindset principles. That idea of building learning muscles, this fixed entity of talent or intelligence is a little bit limiting. But if we can feel that by lifting bigger cognitive weights, if you like, that we're doing repetitions and building more strength into those muscles, then eventually we will pick up those skills. I really love that. It definitely makes people feel empowered to take control of their learning. And the challenge is that our schooling is outdated. You know, there are very structured lessons to a structured curriculum with very structured questions. And there's one right answer. And while this might give us a great way of comparing large cohorts of kids across a particular country or exam board, it doesn't necessarily prepare people for the outside world where the questions are going to be much more nuanced around values and risks and ethics and relationships, judgment and patience. So I know we can't change that for your particular class, Kevin. So here are a few ideas that might just work to help you move them along that motivational scale. The first thing is to break down that crowd effect into a smaller group and smaller group units. So where there might be one group of 30, the shame of making a mistake in front of that group is so much higher. So if we have five groups of six working on different parts of the same question, that can really help. And I've seen this even in executive workshops where we need to give people that safe space to bounce their ideas around before they proclaim their answers in front of their harshest critics. And then when someone does break the silence and have the courage to give you the first answer, even if their answer isn't spot on, we need to support them with positive reinforcement that you're gonna support anyone rather than shame them that they've got the answer wrong. 
Um, so, you know, language like, oh, that's a really interesting perspective, Stephen. Um, I like what you were thinking there, but no, Henry VIII didn't eat all his wives. Can anyone remember the rhyme which reminds us all of the order they met their end? So we've got their uh, sort of positive reframing of, of Stephen's joke comment. Uh, obviously, you're going to get some kids that are going to try and derail the situation. So it might be worth giving them some kind of responsibility at the front of the class uh, or at the beginning of the class rather than letting them derail it down the line. So uh, that's another tactic in there. I think you could use some autonomy, which is a great intrinsic motivator. Um, you know, which which group wants to take this part of the task and which group wants this other part of the task. And by choosing the different elements that they, you know, out of, say, five, five groups, um, they might feel a little bit more ownership and that the task is something that they've chosen and they can go on and do and they want to do well at. And then, of course, we've got that intergroup competition that could be useful, whether it's points, trophies, a league table or suites. Uh, that you can bribe them into beating the blue team or the red team or let them pick their own fancy names for the teams. That works well often. Um, and then week on week, you could have the points chart there and, and bring up that rivalry uh, as you walk through the term. So there's been an important uh, element as well that we often miss. I've seen this missed in coaching quite a lot. And I try and remember it with our own team when we're discussing any improvements or tasks. And that's why this is important. You know, why are we actually doing this? And we often overlook it because I think, you know, we just look at it's week 36 in the curriculum. Uh, but the kids actually want to know why are we doing this? Why does this fit together into a bigger learning benefit? And, and how is this going to help me in my life? So, um the sporting example might be that the fitness trainers ask people to do a load of squats and they're there with their, um, you know, thighs burning away and they're wondering what on earth are they doing this for? But of course, if the coach comes in and says, this is plyometric training, this is really going to help us to get off, you know, change direction really quickly on the pitch or sidestep in rugby or, or you know, our ability to take a tackle in football or being able to dive at cover in, in cricket these muscles are so critical. So by firing them and training them here, this is really going to help us to be the best fielding team in the world. All of a sudden, we've given that terrible individual exercise a bit of bigger context, and that helps to build that motivation about why it's important to do it. We might also be able to use the timeline to our advantage and, and relate this back to show the growth that somebody's had. We all like to make progress and feel that we're making uh, improvements in our skills and intelligence so we could say something like remember back in January last year when you guys couldn't even do x y and z but look at you now with this hard work and this progress that you've made you've got to this stage here it's almost like we're climbing on this staircase look back down three steps and you can do all of those things easily now but you found those hard a while ago now we're going to get up onto this next step and to get to the next step we've got to do these three things which are going to stretch you but in six months time you're going to look back and these are going to look easy as well this is all part of that uh, you know climb to high performance in whatever subject we're doing so people can see that they've mastered things in the past and the things that are looking a bit daunting in the future they sort of see as part of the process of, of learning and mastery i love the language that professor claxton used about building learning muscles and maybe we can relate that to something they've learned in their personal lives maybe it's some skills on the xbox or the skateboard or doing a tiktok dance all of those things in their fun 
experiences will have still taken great effort, strategy, tenacity, courage, and learning to master those skills. And this task is just the same. So we're trying to pull on their capacity as a learner to be able to transport that across from TikTok to trigonometry. Now, I know it's not quite the same and quite as much fun, but getting them to see themselves as a learner and capable of learning things with difficult steps is a really important thing to build their belief. So we're not just going to that very shallow level of learning, which is, can you learn how to do this sum? We're not going to that middle level of learning, which is, can you learn to do maths? Um, we're actually taking them to that bigger level in their belief system that are you capable of learning? And, and we can use examples from other parts in their lives to give them the confidence to then focus back in on their schoolwork as well. And obviously the tension there is that we've got a, a short timeline, a big class, uh, a set curriculum and a set of test questions that we've got to navigate and get the, the performers through in the short term. And I understand that. But, um, you know, what we're trying to do here is get somebody to think about their ability to learn. We're actually recruiting somebody at the moment at Sporting Edge and and that's one of the key attributes that I'm looking for, this ability to learn new skills quickly, because that's going to be so important for the future. And many of the jobs we know that today's school kids uh, are going to be ending up doing when they're in the workplace don't exist yet. So memorizing Latin grammar and calculations might not be the most relevant thing to them, but actually the ability to research widely, to solve complex problems, to curate information, those skills of a learner are really, really valuable and universal. So those things we should try and encourage wherever we can. Um, and obviously, we've got to satisfy those short term compliance um, elements of the curriculum and make sure it's there. But we've got to try and make that as fun uh, and engaging, like they're exploring new territory uh, to keep their motivation up as they learn. So a really tough task. But um, I'm not sure if any of those ramblings help you, Kevin, with your class um, if I can help in any more detail, please give me a shout. I'd love to help to get those guys motivated. But uh, I suppose it depends on the mood in the camp and the characters that are holding things back. But I wish you every success. If you're a manager listening to this or a parent or a teacher and you want to create this learning culture, then I'm sure you'd absolutely love exploring our digital library of high performance insights. You can type in the keywords to about 80 key themes like motivation or resilience or, or um, well-being or whatever it might be. And, and you'll find hundreds of expert insights in there from elite sport, education, the performing arts, the military, neuroscience, all these experts sharing their advice to help you to do better in your career and create that high performance environment. So just go to sportingedge.com and then you'll go to the membership page. You'll see the membership options, set up your own personal profile and just make sure you use the code podcast 100 with no spaces at the checkout and that'll give you a free month. You can explore that whole library and there's no need to put your credit card in so we won't be hounding you and um, you'll be joining hundreds of other growth mindsetters, uh, if that's what we could call ourselves around the world, as we all try and make sense of the pressures and the chaos in our own careers. So if I can help you in any of your organisations, then please do get in touch at hello at sportingedge.com. We've got quite a few keynote speeches and senior team away days booked before Christmas. So I'm really looking forward to helping those businesses to get the mindset and culture they need for a fast start in 2022. 
Can you believe that's raced up on us? So I hope you've enjoyed the session today, wherever you're listening in from, on a dog walk, a bike ride, or in the staff room. Thanks so much for listening and, and maybe sharing this episode with your network. And good luck. Good luck.